Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Yeah, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. I am your host, as always, John Kelly, aka John the Marketer on Instagram and TikTok. And you're tuned in. It's our nationwide search. We're looking for entrepreneurs with a story to tell. And joining us virtually in the studio from Los Gatos, California, I've got Ahmed Reza with Yobi. Ahmed, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it is always a pleasure, man. I love meeting new people and learning new stories. Uh, and I mean, pretty cool. Like you're from a spot where you said Netflix is at. You've got, um, you know, Black Mirror that was kind of featuring that city there in the show a little bit. So I'm sure you've got some great stories about the side of California you chose to call home. But before we hop into everything, where you came from and all that stuff, we always start out our show with an icebreaker question. And today's icebreaker question is name one thing you always imagined you would do, but haven't done yet. One thing I always imagined I'd do. For me, it's skydiving, man. I, uh, I definitely thought as a kid, like I've always been kind of that thrill seeker type of person. And I was like, I think skydiving is something that I would do. And even into adulthood, I was kind of like, you know, at first I had the same thought a lot of other people probably do, which is why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Um, and I am definitely familiar with the fact that death is real and it can absolutely happen. And being on the fire and EMS side of things for many years now, I've also seen a lot of uh, those types of calls because I used to work in an area where we actually had a skydiving airport or not. It was just an airport with a skydiving facility inside of it. And they would fly people up all the time. And man, you'd get calls because of the neighborhood around there and stuff, you'd get these calls of, hey, there's a skydiver on someone's roof or there's a skydiver that hit the ground and you know, you're know you going out there to treat these people. Um, but I'm a thrill seeker. I love adrenaline. I'm an adrenaline junkie and skydiving seems like the ultimate thrill. I don't know if I would pass out during it like a wuss or not, but I definitely want to try it. It's just something I have not been able to get to. Yeah, For me, it's a, it's a lot more like working on cars. I thought I'd be working and restoring cars by now. That's something that I'm really passionate about. And I have, yeah, like it's a little bit of a heartbreak, but someday, someday I'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, restoring some older cars that me and my dad used to work on when I was young. I definitely love cars, man. I don't know I don't think I can say I love working on cars because to be honest, it's something that I am familiar enough with to do or learn to do if it's not something I've done before. You know, of course, all the stuff changing oil, all those self-explanatory things, I can do that. But when it comes to actually working on like restoring an engine or, uh, you know, motor swaps or anything major to a vehicle, I definitely prefer to just pay somebody. But I wish that I had the patience and the time to sit down and learn that. Cause first of all, what an amazing skill to have probably saves you a lot of money. And if you wanted to open a business doing it one day could make you a lot of money, but it's just not something I think that I would want to hop into because of my 
I don't want to say because of my patience, because of my lack of patience. So that'd be a hard one for me. Oh, yeah, it's definitely about patience, especially old cars, you know, where you have to end up rebuilding and reexamining and understanding the mechanics. It's almost like if you're a geek, if you're an engineer, you can almost connect with the designers who built, you know, the components, uh, especially for like exotic cars or even cars from the 40s or 50s. Right. The technology was so different. Oh, yeah. We were just talking about that today in the office on our way to lunch, you know, saying it's amazing. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was that he, oh, it was because I had my phone in my hand. And of course, like many people were watching TikToks, reels, that kind of thing while he's driving. He looked over and saw me doing that. And he was like, remember when the portable DVD players were a huge thing and you could sit in a car with a portable DVD player on your lap and you were like the bee's knees, man. You were the coolest that there was. And that's how it was because that's technology was just so different even in the 90s and early 2000s to the point that you look at all of the change and advancement that we've had from like 0405 to now and it's like man the difference that 18 to 20 years can make yeah it's absolutely insane yes sir well last thing we have to do before we hop into it is always take a second to talk about our sponsors and i know that we have listeners out there that are tired of juggling multiple platforms for their marketing and sales needs and it's time to revolutionize your business. Talk about these technological advances. Everything's advancing. So let's switch to Wingman and revolutionize your business. It's an all-in-one marketing automation software designed by experienced marketers who understand your struggles. It's a game changer that combines the best tools to streamline your communication, automate your workflows, and grow your business. You can capture leads using landing pages, surveys, forms, and more, nurture them, with personalized messages via voicemail, SMS, emails, and even Facebook Messenger. And you can close those deals with built-in tools to collect payments, schedule appointments, and track analytics. So say goodbye to your, your multiple marketing tools and hello to Wingman. It's your unified platform for all business needs. Enhance your online presence, manage your reputation effectively, and cultivate leads effortlessly. So are you ready to take your business to new heights? Visit trustyourwingman.com today and let Wingman be your co-pilot to success because every business needs a Wingman. But Ahmed, we're here to talk about you. And I ask this question every single episode, and I never get tired of hearing all the different answers. But where'd you come from? How'd you get into entrepreneurship? What is your origin story? Certainly. Uh, I'm an immigrant from Bangladesh, and I came to the United States first uh, in the 80s. I came to Plano, Texas. Went to Christie Elementary for a bit there. Then I went back, uh, did most of my education there till I was 14, came back to New York City. And um, yeah, to very different circumstances. So I was pretty poor and had to drop out of school for a while, was able to get back in, finish up, got a full scholarship to an Ivy League school. And entrepreneurship was basically my way out a way out of poverty, right? a way out of a tough spot. So I remember in high school, a friend of mine, he had a little business and our first entrepreneurial venture was selling oils and incenses at a parade in Manhattan. And, uh, you know, the two of us are talking, we rented a car illegally actually, because we were both, neither one of us had a driver's license. So we were able to get a rent a car and uh, we were like, man, we're going to make so much money. We already did the math on which Nikes we were going to buy. 
we went to the we went to the thing and we lost our behinds and that was my first entrepreneurial entrepreneurial experience uh on the way back and we we're like man this kind of sucked we thought we were going to get make money and we're going back with a bunch of like unsold product right uh and then subsequently it was actually incenses and oils it's something that i sold while i was going to school at cornell after i got tired of holding down three jobs while trying to go to school. It's one of the toughest engineering schools out there. Uh, so I opened up a little incense and oil store at the mall, um, at the Kyuga Mall. And my friend kind of fronted me the money to do that. It ended up being a lifeline because I ended up hiring an employee who ran the thing and it gave me around $34,000 a year on average, which was enough to pay for all the things that the scholarship didn't pay for, like housing, food, I used to take care of my parents. And then that went, that went under after September 11th happened, the economy went to hell in the handbasket. Uh, and I guess uh, the third time's a charm. I joined a bunch of startups after that, became an engineer, worked for the DOD for a little bit doing artificial intelligence, and then built my own company doing marketing attribution um, for dentists, figuring out which calls converted to customers, which ones didn't, and optimizing AdWords accordingly. So I used AI to essentially become a multimillionaire, you know, made millions in sales, just figuring this little tidbit out. Sold that company in 2018 and uh, was an investor for a bit. And just, you know, you just can't walk away. Once you're in it, you're in it. So back with Yobi, which is uh, my new entrepreneurial venture. Yeah, the entrepreneurial spirit is definitely something that doesn't allow you to truly retire. Like you get to do a lot less things, I think, once you reach that age. But as far as just doing nothing and sitting around the house or just, you know, not having something to go dig into, man, I could never foresee myself being that type of person. Like I am definitely like other entrepreneurs, man, it's, there's something I've got to have my hands in. It kind of gives your life a purpose. I don't know if you feel that, but oh, you know, it's like without it, I don't, I don't feel like I'm fulfilling a purpose. Yeah. I don't think entrepreneurship's for everybody, but if you're an entrepreneur, you kind of know, you know, you're that odd one, right? <laughs> like, yeah, because you like getting beat up every week <laughs> because every single day is a challenge and not everybody likes that. I mean, we're, we're moving toward a society that, once things handed to us, we want it the easy way. I want to go to McDonald's and make 15, 20 bucks an hour with no skills and no education versus, you know, an entrepreneur says, I don't want you to pay me a damn thing. I want to get out here and I want to create a product or service so good that you want to buy it, not that I want you to. And I've got the skills and the labor involved in that to be able to, to do that and the education put together to be able to make something worthwhile. Certainly. Uh... I think work uh, work life balance to me is like when you need to absolutely positively sleep, you sleep. <laughs> That's the extent of work life balance because I think to me, um, what you do is such an integral part of who you are, right? And uh, re re as far as retirement is concerned, I think that's a different paradigm. Going forward, we we can look at life more holistically. Because we, we live in a world of plenty, right? A world of abundance where, uh, you know, it's not so much like, how am I going to pay for everything? 
hopefully that's what I'm hoping for. The future is one where we're not quite as worried about how are we going to pay for everything, but more about how do we live meaningful lives, happy lives, right? And to me, entrepreneurship is about happiness. I don't know what else I'd be doing, right? I can create value. I can build things, get to work with great people, uh, get to invent the future, you know, in my case. Uh, What a great way to live your life, you know, and you, you do have incredible amounts of control over it as well, right? So if there's a couple of weeks that I don't want to work, I can choose to not work for a couple of weeks. You don't have to call the boss and get that approval, you know? I mean, absolutely. I've heard a lot of people say that the ultimate goal in entrepreneurship is freedom. It's the freedom to make those decisions and do exactly what you want to do, which of course, those freedoms are exactly what beats us up sometimes, you know? But um, ultimately, the greedy are probably in it in order to get rich, make a lot of money and just have that money for themselves. But I think the majority of entrepreneurs are in it to get rich. But, you know, you've got to understand that rich can mean many things to many people. And in this context, I think that rich looks like being able to pay yourself a salary that allows you to live the lifestyle you want to live, um, you know, without having to clock in for somebody else, you've got that freedom there. And then on top of that, you're helping other people by employing them and you're having an effect in their lives because you're providing good jobs. You obviously hopefully love the industry that you're in and then you want more people to be in that industry and you're giving them a way to make money and be in that same industry with you. And then hopefully those people become friends because I know, you know, culture is one of the most important things that we can talk about in leadership, business and entrepreneurship. And if you don't have a good culture at your company, then you're not doing your company right. You're not doing your your clients right. You're not doing your customer, I mean, your uh, employees right. And ultimately, you're shorting yourself because if your culture is good, then, you know, it's like the office that I go to every day where when I walk in, it's not, oh, I'm just here to do some work and make somebody some money. It's I'm here to do some work and make me some money and make the company some money, but I'm also here to enjoy the people that I'm with. And to have a great day at work because it's fun to be in the office. And it's like, that's that's the dream right there. Create your own destiny. You know, create your own place that you can go and call your second home and have fun and enjoy your life while you're there. Yeah, although I must add something where you said uh, the greedy. I think that we should qualify that with the greedy and the bad at math. Because mm, yeah, <laughs> if you're greedy and you're good at math, you probably go to Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because that that entrepreneurship, you're still working. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I, you're still working for so it. So one of the first things uh, I was fortunate enough to take one of the uh, early cohorts of Y, y Combinator startup school. And one of the first on day one, they discourage you from being an entrepreneur. Uh, and this is, you know, a world class, you know, accelerator program. Right. So day one, they're like, hey, um, do the math. They straight up do the math. And the expected value of what you will make as an entrepreneur is actually less than what you might make as an employee at a Google or some other place. And then they do the math. Like you're way better off going off to, you know, uh, going off to Wall Street uh, where the probability of success is actually higher. Yes, entrepreneurs do make outsized returns. There's a lot of failure that comes along with it, right? Which is why I think... uh, being around fellow entrepreneurs, it's uh, it's really cool because these are folks that re- genuinely want to build things. You'll see the you'll see them at the volunteer events at your community. You'll see entrepreneurs like 
always giving because it's it's just this mode, man, right? And it, it's a crazy, crazy powerful community. And the entrepreneurial spirit is one of the things that's most beautiful about America. And I'm really glad that that's catching on around the world. So I actually end up mentoring entrepreneurs around the world now. Uh, and that's what folks see. Like, this is why the American dream is what it is. Um, we let people figure things out, you know, kind of lift yourself up by your bootstraps and have that can-do attitude, right? Um, and yeah, you make money, but it's not just about making money. You want freedom. Beyond that, you use that money to help other people, right? Um, so the, just wanted to caveat that with uh, folks who are getting into it, who are just like, oh, I'm going to make a lot of money. I implore them to go look at, do the math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of other ways to do that. I, I think the big thing too is that being greedy doesn't mean you want to make a lot of money and being greedy doesn't mean you want to be rich because I want to be rich and I want to make a lot of money, but it, it's more of your lifestyle behind it. You know, exactly what you just said. If you're someone who's into giving, if you're someone who is into having the company because you can employ a hundred people and make a hundred people a nice living for their family, then that to me, that's not selfish. That's helping. You know, we can, we can dog on capitalism and kind of the American way all day. And I can agree with you on several facts as to where capitalism can absolutely be messed up. I mean, look at the pharmaceutical in industry if you want proof of that. But at the same time, exactly what you're talking about, where other countries are catching on to this and finding out, you know, hey, you don't have to go to America to have the American dream. The American dream is just that freedom, which we already defined entrepreneurship as freedom. So it's just that freedom to be able to decide, I want to make this or provide this service and I want to charge this much. And this is how much I want to give away. This is how many people I want to employ. This is how much more work I want to take on. This is the overhead I want to create. Whatever those scenarios are, that's what capitalism is at the heart of it. Every single thing in this world, we can sit down and talk about it. And no matter how good that thing is, we can find the evil that lurks within it. Every single time, every single subject. And I think that, you know, as a whole, not to get philosophical, but it happens every now and then on this podcast, but as a whole, we can, we can all agree that everybody is kind of headed towards this path of, I guess, really being so kind of spoiled in how good things have been here in America, you know, that I think we're kind of running out of things to have a problem with and we're demonizing so many things and expecting that everyone's going to be perfect and there's going to be no nobody who's racist, nobody who's ever angry, mad, and goes postal, nobody who ever makes bad decisions or is a criminal or, you know, and it's like, hey, you can't stop people from being people. Like, that's what the American, that's what America is founded on, is you can have the freedom to choose in your daily life, your work, everything else. If you don't like how much that hamburger shop's paying you, you can get a job at another hamburger shop. If it's hard to find a job that's going to pay you what you want to do flipping burgers, then you can have the freedom to go get an education or to go find a skill or to not decide to just flip burgers for the rest of your life and move up to management within that company with no education and no, um, you know, specialized skills or anything like that. Like there's an opportunity for everyone here. You just have to be willing to get off of your ass and not be lazy and actually work and do the work behind it. But back to the topic at hand, entrepreneurs have never struggled with this. That's why we do what we do. 
That's why we start companies because we want to be able to have that ultimate freedom. And I think we have to like the challenge a little bit too, because it is every single day, there's a million decisions that are going to affect not just you, but a full company. And you got to be comfortable with that. And that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And some people just aren't cut out to do it. Oh, absolutely. I think a majority of people are not cut out to be entrepreneurs, right? Uh, Because as an entrepreneur, you have to be a very paranoid optimist, right? Which is, which probably describes you pretty well, because you're literally firefighting. You know, I was going to ask you, where do you firefight more, more in the office or outside the office? (laughs) Right? No, I mean, that's exactly right, man. I've got uh, you know, I think a, a lot of our listeners have heard the story before. I work for Beefy Marketing, a marketing agency, and then I own a company with the guy that owns Beefy Marketing. So he's a friend, a high school buddy I've known for years. Uh, he's my boss, and he is a co-owner in the company that uh, that we have together. And you're 100 right. Doing sales in a marketing office sometimes can be fire after fire. Every single week, there's a new fire to put out whenever you're talking about our company, which is an event services company. Um, There's plenty of work to do. That's for sure. Like there's a lot going on. And then I was like, you know what? Two jobs isn't enough. So I think I'm going to add another job in there. And I'm a lieutenant on a fire truck and do that for two days out of the week, 48 hours on 96 hours off. So two on four off. It's an insane yeah. schedule. I wind up working 24-7 quite a bit, but I wouldn't want it any other way, man. I get bored. Uh, fun, uh, funny you should speak of firefighting. I've never, you know, I've never uh, done anything like that. But recently I did, in the last five years, I've had to put out two fires, actual fires. First one was where there was a kitchen fire. Uh, it was a grease fire. Like I was about to, I was living in a condo, And this was going to kill everybody. This was so fast. It was moving so fast. And I just... In California? Yeah, right here in California. Yeah. Um, My daughter was going to cook something for us and just to, you know, impress me and my wife, you know, she left the oil burning and I'm in, I'm in the living room. um, And I'm like, why is there, why is there a light coming from the kitchen? (laughs) Mm. And it wasn't light. It was a fire. And (laughs) yeah. I look at it and the thing becomes bigger than me before you know it. And I, uh, I'm just thinking really fast, like a lot of people are going to die, right? There's a lot of people there. It'll, you know, I've never seen anything spread that fast. I just threw water at it, which you're not supposed to do, but with sufficient amount of water, it does go down. Uh, Kitchen was totally burned, but you know, no, no, no casualties. And then the second time, like just this, uh, just a few months ago, I'm at the mosque over here and it's full of people. It's the middle of Ramadan, right? It's full of people, kids and everything. And suddenly I hear popping and I'm like, what the heck is that? There's, there's a outlet. It's an older building, right? It's a large building with an older, uh, older church. And this outlet was wired wrong and it turned into a flamethrower. <laughs> and Again, I'm like, oh my God, where's the fire? Uh, so a couple of times I've had to put fires out now, and somebody joking goes, "Hey, where'd you get your where'd you get your training?" I said, "It's from the years of entrepreneurship. I'm really good with emergencies and having random crap pop up where you have to like deal with this completely crazy scenario. You know, figure out what might happen, and you know, so." I think it takes a certain kind of person to want to show up for that every day. 
So. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, it's funny that you kind of compare that to firefighting is it's not something I think I've ever talked about on the, the podcast before or had that conversation, but ultimately, and I thought about this a lot. I think what it boils down to is that good firefighters are good problem solvers. Mm-hmm. And what are good entrepreneurs? Good, good problem solvers. Exactly. Like you see a problem, right? You know, in entrepreneurship, I don't have any money. I'm not employing anyone. I'm not providing a, a service or a product. I'm not doing things that I want to do. Going to work, feeling, uh, feeling fulfilled. All of those things are problems for you where you want to improve yourself and your life and your happiness. And so you find a way to solve that problem. Okay, I'm, I've been a DJ since I was a kid. I worked for someone else. Now I'm going to open up my own company doing that, you know, and I'm going to solve the problem of brides getting a bad wedding DJ or corporations having a DJ that doesn't sound that great or an employee that volunteered to do it with some equipment that they own that's outdated, not well taken care of, or, you know, whatever the case may be. And in firefighting, it's the same thing. We show up and we say, what is the problem and how are we going to solve it? And no house fire is exactly the same. No wildfire, as y'all are familiar Mm -hmm. with out in California, is exactly the same. Every single one presents its own unique challenges that you have to overcome. And that's what makes a good fireman. That's what what defines someone in the fire service that is looked up to or is a good leader, is the ability to walk in and say, hey, here's a problem. Here's how I'm going to solve it. And then they take care of it. And they have the initiative to do that. And I think as an entrepreneur, it has to be the same. It's a great comparison. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, everybody always admires firefighters, right? For a reason, because here here are these folks that are pretty selfless and that they just have to be really great under pressure. And as an entrepreneur, you have to be really, really great under pressure. Absolutely. Man, I, I, I think it's it's an amazing story. You know, I love this. Now going to Cornell, that was a full ride. Well, not a full ride scholarship, but mostly, right? No, you were just having to come to It was a full ride pool. scholarship. Okay, it was, gotcha. I, I, it, Cornell was covered for me, so I guess I was kind of spoiled by that. Um, but at the same time, I very poor, so I had to take care of my mom, had to pay rent. And that was my question: yeah. was how how can you attain that when you know you grow up in poverty? And, and I didn't grow up in like true poverty. I mean, we had some moments of our life where I was eating ramen noodle because it was ten cents a packet, or I was eating rice. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can make rice, um, a lot of different flavors you can put in there. I mean, you can have rice for breakfast, lunch and dinner and have three different flavors and include dessert if you want to, you know. Um, but growing up poor, college is something I wasn't as smart as you, man. I, I didn't have that. Uh, I, all right. You know, what? I have the ability. Right. I didn't apply myself in high school. I didn't care about high school. I didn't want to go to college. So I didn't try. And so <clears throat> when it came to a scholarship, it's not something that I can look at. So that's really cool to be able to get a scholarship and go to such a prestigious university and then, you know, get this degree. I love it. Yeah. Actually, I ended up having to drop out of college for a bit too. Also for being poor. Uh, After, after the, after the business went under, I had to go, I had to drop out. I was going to go work at like a grocery store because you know, we didn't have money to pay for regular bills. And I got really lucky. And Dr. James Houck, who was one of the principal, he, no, he was the principal researcher for Spitzer Space Telescope. So I ended up becoming one of the youngest engineers at NASA, even without a degree. Uh, and then once that project kind of launched, I went back and finished up college 
uh, took 34 credits one semester, which is the equivalent of a year's worth of work in one semester. I was going to say that's like, uh, it's 12 hours full time per semester, right? Yeah. So yeah, a, a little over. So what was year. crazy is they were taking bets about how badly I would fail at the engineering school. And the dean of engineering was like, this kid's never going to make it. He's never, you know, he, he's failed classes at 12 credits and 14 credits. How's he going to make this, right? It's just that people don't under, understand how hard you you work when you actually have a bunch of jobs and stuff and you're poor what you're used to. So this was the only semester I didn't have to work. I aced it. Because even with all of those credits, it was still easier than having a, having multiple jobs. Absolutely. You know? And that's one reason that, like you were talking about, uh, that sense of entitlement. It's actually not just in America. It's all around the world now. There's a sense of entitlement. And I think part of the reason is because of social media. We get to see other things, right? How we connect with uh, our friends, our family has changed fundamentally, right? Uh, the connections aren't as deep. It's not the same as like hanging out at a barbecue, right? It's hard to hate on somebody when you're hanging out at a barbecue and just enjoying each other's humanity, um, as opposed to all you see is like their fancier vehicle on Instagram, right? <laughs> that connection is no longer, you know, it's no longer as nice, right? And then suddenly everybody feels like, how come I don't have this? And there's this collective thing happening. Because I noticed when I was in North Africa, when I'm in Turkey, um, you know, even Asia, kind of hear like similar things coming from parents, coming from, uh, you know, coming from essentially our generation, like, hey, what's going on with this sense of entitlement? Um, and the other part of it, I think, is the fact that we've, as, as the world has increasingly gotten more prosperous, we've taken better care of our children. As a result, they don't face the kind of hardships that we may have faced, which which also makes you more robust. So after you've fought a couple of fires, you know how to deal with fires. After you've dealt with some hardships, it actually makes you more resilient. So truth be told, you know, after I immigrated to the United States, had I not been broke and completely destitute, I may have not been nearly as successful. You know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I remember doing the odd job being on the street, selling books, my hands freezing, right? Or working at Dunkin' Donuts, <clears throat> cleaning up poop off the floor. I'm going, I'll never do if I if I ever get the chance to not have to do this again, <laughs> right? I am never going back to doing this. Like, there's some motivation right there for you. Absolutely. How old were you whenever you immigrated? I was 14. The second time around, I was 14. Uh, first time around, I was seven, uh, and I, we just stayed in the United States for less than a year. The second time around, so you got to experience. Yeah, I, sorry. Yeah, you got to experience your your home country, then correct for a while enough that you could remember what it was like and and where you came from and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and actually, it was it was really nice there because you know we were rich <laughs> over here. I was nobody, <laughs> right? Um, and you get to understand different paradigms, right? Being really wealthy in a third world nation, right? You have dictatorial powers over other people. You might, speaking of entitlement, right? That's the ultimate entitlement is when you think you are better than another human being. We theoretically talk about racism here over like, and there are places in the world that there is true injustice. And I'm ashamed to say I was part of that apparatus 
you know, as a kid, you don't know better, right? You're growing up and you're thinking, here's this person. His job is to tie my shoes. Like, that's just how it is. I'm better than, like, I was born better somehow. I'm taller, lighter skinned. Um, I know that sounds really horrible to say on this, right? But those are the things that you're told, right? Like the society tells you, you look better. Yeah, right. I think it's like an anthropology where you learn that. Um, you know, you learn whenever you're taking these college courses and stuff, you, you learn about how all of these cultural differences, while in our culture, we may see it as disgusting or bad or, you know, whatever else in that culture, when they they grow up that way for generations after generations. And it's the norm. A societal norm is just that. No matter how bad we see it, we have to understand that that's not America, you know, and vice versa. They see us do things or say things. And it's like, but you don't understand because you don't live here either. So that's where I think where you may have been unfortunate in some ways by becoming poor, but you were so fortunate to have both of those experiences so that you would appreciate both of those lifestyles as you grew older. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you can judge for yourself what you value in the world, right? Like, cause your heart will tell you like, this is, this is a better way to be. So one of the, right. one of the impacts that America's had on a lot of folks who've immigrated, some folks who've gone back is there's a lot of good things to offer, right? There's a lot of good things to offer. Yeah. There's problems, but there's problems everywhere. And, uh, as you go to, as you travel the world now, it's a lot more homogenous because of internet, because of media, entertainment, right? It's a lot more Americanized, um, but it brings with it a lot of good as well. And that that gives me hope for the future, including the entrepreneurial uh, spirit. And the entrepreneurial spirit actually may, uh, is very much the reason why Bangladesh, the country I'm from, is one of the fastest, you know, fastest growing economies of the world. People, the class divides have gotten a lot smaller. People don't starve to death, right? There are a lot more opportunities. Uh, and it's incredible, right? It's incredible what you can do when people come together without wanting to just be the top dog uh, and they, they want to solve problems. And India is probably the, the same way as when I was growing up, India was pretty destitute and it's well on its way to being, uh, you know, one of the top economic superpowers in the world here soon. I, I love what you said there about the internet. I think, you know, there's, there's a few things here. And first of all, take everything I say with a grain of salt. Cause I'm just a, a dumb guy that I haven't even gotten my bachelor's. I haven't, uh, you know, finished my degree out. Uh, and I, I fight fires. That's what I do for a living. But as I see these things, um, the internet, I think I, I liken this a lot to AI currently where it sits. You know, if we look at the internet 20 years ago, that's kind of where AI is now is it's something that's been under development for years. AI, if you look at it as a broad term, it's like it can actually be used to define a lot more things than just, you know, it doesn't mean chat GPT. It doesn't mean, you know, that it's a conversational based machine learning software. It, it, it can very well be powering many things that we've been using since the eighties or nineties, right? Like, and I don't think people understand that, that ChatGPT is not the first iteration. I remember a chatbot created back in like 04, 05, 06, somewhere around there that I think Microsoft was working on back then. And it was like integrated with AIM where you can instant message this uh, robot, you know, this AI, and it's talking to you like a human would chat with you. And so AI to me seems to be kind of where the internet was. And that is that 
You've got some people on this side that hate it and they see it as it's a demon. It's uh, it's going to destroy society as we know it. There's going to be people who take advantage of it, all this stuff. And then you have the other side, which is saying this is going to be great for technological advances. It's going to advance our society and cultures across the globe as a whole. And there's just going to be like this fundamental shift in our entire life. And that's kind of the side that I lean to. I love AI. I'm embracing it. I'm using it every single day and diving into it, bringing more friends into the circle. Like, hey, you've got to use it if you haven't been because, you know, you're sitting here telling me you want to tell your boss that, you know, you agree with them, but it was outside of your control. So it's not your fault, but you don't want to say it that way. You want to tactful way. And I said, have you asked chat GPT? Oh, no, what's that? And I'm like, oh, man, hang on. Let me pull up my phone. I'll get you an answer on that, you know. And so the reason I bring that up is with the Internet, it was such a technological advance that was advanced that was so hated. And then what it did was kind of brought us all together in one. Mm -hmm. And it was something that in the 90s we were kind of joking about on television and, uh, you know, on publications that were coming out talking about this newfangled internet that's going to be a fad and it's not going to last and all this stuff. And they said, well, somehow it's like everyone's going to instantly be connected. And I think we forget that, that America was based on this idea of you in California set your laws and do your things because you're on your side of the country there. And that's different than me here in Texas. So I need to set my own laws and regulations. Now we need a federal government that says, don't kill don't steal, you know, don't do drugs, right? All of those things. But when it comes to specifics and we're just like arguing back and forth about what you may agree on that I may not and vice versa, then it's like, cool, well, you're in Texas. So y'all vote for your legislators and do what you want to do. You're in California. You vote for your legislators and do what you want to do. Have that freedom. But the internet doesn't operate under that law. The internet operates on everyone can see everyone and everything that they share all the time instantly. I can instantly be in France. I can instantly be in Bangladesh. I can instantly be wherever I want to be because all of a sudden now I can just boot up a computer and then there we go. And I think that we're in that learning curve. Going back to the AI and internet thing, it's like you have these stages. And when the internet first came out, there was a lot of bad crap happening. There was, you know, royalties and millions and billions of dollars being lost in, you know, illegal downloads of movies and music and and other videos stuff like that and like it's we learned how to regulate these things and make them not a problem anymore but the problem that continues to exist is that new problems are going to come out as the technology advances and now with the advent of social media all of a sudden the social media thing came to the table and then made us all see each other you know and at first it was pictures and now it's video and all of these things are advancing so quickly that we're just, we're doing the bad stuff first because that's kind of how society works every now and then, you know? Like you said, it's easy for me, uh, a buddy of mine that I've had on this show that, you know, great guy, love him to death, he's rich, and he likes to take pictures and videos of his family flying to Disney on his private jet and doing all these things. And he gets the haters in the comments that say, you know, you're just rubbing it in our face. And for that one trip to Florida, how many poor kids could you have fed and all this stuff? And I'm like, dude, I grew up poor. Why are you hating on this man for having success? Like he built his company and employs a lot of people. Like, what are you hating on right now? But we're going to see that. And right now, I think that we're all starting to finally get to the point where it's like, I'm no longer where I was before, where I didn't see racism, hatred, uh, bigotry out in the open because I was in my own little bubble here. 
And either, either it seemed okay to me because I was so used to seeing it all the time, or it just wasn't something I was exposed to a lot because I didn't, you know, I got my paper once a week and I, I watched the news maybe nightly, maybe once or twice a week. And we were just kind of separated from each other. And then all of a sudden we, we were all thrown into one room together and told to live. And then we just kind of had to fight out and figure out how are we going to live on this thing we call the internet. And I think that so many changes are, are bound to happen. And then as we realize it and more people are disgusted with this behavior, naturally society is going to change what's okay and acceptable. Just like you said, you know, you go back to those countries, um, your home country, when, when you go back and visit, eventually, if not already, it's not going to be like it was when you grew up. There's not going to be that severe division between, you know, classism, between those who are wealthy and those who are not. You're going to see that start to heal itself, but it takes time. And I think that we're an instant gratification society now. We don't want to wait that time, but we have to. We have to wait the time out, make those regulatory changes, and it's going to be the same thing with AI. And I think if anybody's hating on AI right now, they've got to see it as the internet of this generation's life, where, yes, it came out, we were scared, a lot of bad things are going to happen, and then we're going to make changes, we're going to put regulations in place, and we're going to make it the best that it can be, and it's going to alter our life for the good in major ways we can't even imagine right now. Yeah, so I'll do a little bit of show and tell. Um, so I actually ended up doing some AI early on in my career. I worked on the DARPA Grand Challenge, which led to a lot of the self-driving cars that you see. So DARPA, defense, right? Uh, I did some government work. Actually, I did quite a bit of government work early on. Uh, so my first foray into AI was actually doing artificial intelligence for unmanned aerial vehicles. This is mid-2000s. So AI has been around for a long time, man, right? Uh, what we have now, though, is genuinely powerful, like in ways that even I haven't, I hadn't imagined, right? So yeah, we, were, we can't think about we it. We were building, we were building a brain in the cloud to help businesses. And we knew that this would be very helpful. And I learned about it, you know, in my previous company before I sold it, right? But now it can do this. So if you follow me on social media, if you see my posts, I've generated myself into a mini influencer. And here, I'll let you talk to my synthetic clone. This is English. Hey there. My name is Ahmed Reza, and I am the founder of Yobi, an AI communication app for right. businesses. So here's French. Salut. Je m'appelle Ahmed Reza, et je suis le fondateur de Yobi, yep. une application. Dutch. Hoi daar. Mijn naam is Ahmed Reza, en ik ben de oprichter van Yobi, een AI communicatie. And it's really crazy, because... Here's languages that I don't speak. So this is change on steroids, man. This is change on steroids. Yeah. If you're a business person, if you're an entrepreneur, I think the world just tilted itself towards you. If you're faster on And I've been page, screaming this. Right. If you're faster on your feet, this is actually even bigger than the internet. I believe this is at the level of the industrial revolution where the world order is about to shift, right? Everything that we know as we know it is about to shift even more. Now, as far as fearing it, I mean, you could have feared the internet, feared the iPhone, wouldn't have stopped anything, right? 
And that's something that's just the harsh truth about reality. Like reality is reality. It doesn't matter how much you don't like it. It'll continue to be reality as much as like you could wish that fire away. Ain't going to make a difference. right? You're going to need to do something about it. Right. And after it's done, you're going to have to clean up. You're going to have to do something. Um, so with the AI revolution, it's it's here. It's here a little earlier than we expected, than the experts expected. And it's extremely powerful. And it because what we've what we've invented is something, especially with a language based model like ChatGPT uh, or Bard. I mean, you know, I'll give credit to the other guys too. There's there's other people in the arena right now that are fighting for that number one spot. Um, but we have created something that you can teach, something that you can give more info than it already has and something that can analyze new information as it comes out and learn and improve and grow itself. Whereas the internet is kind of like, to me, it's kind of like a television, you know, it's just a repeat of what you already see and you can watch it or you can read it. You can look at it. You can view it, whatever you want to call it. Whereas with AI, it's like, I can tell chat GPT with the right plugin. You know what? I love this information you pulled for me, but can you put it in a visual format, maybe a photo? And then it creates a photo. Mm -hmm you know what? I don't like that. Can you make it into a bar graph so I can see the data that you put in there a little bit differently? And boom, it creates a, a bar graph for me. Like you said, we've never had something that makes it so easy for smart people to be smarter faster. And so it's going to be a race from here on out. I think the human, like all of us as you know, people on earth are just going to see this explosion of technology that we couldn't have imagined. And the internet's already done it. And like you said, that was a lower junior level. It's like, hey, you met the sun. Now it's time to meet dad. All right. Well, this is going to be, this is going to be absolutely insane, but I'm really hopeful because what did we do when construction equipment came out? I'm sure all the folks that were, you know, hammering, digging by hands, right? The first concern would have been job displacement, job loss, but we built skyscrapers, man. we made the world better. We fed more people. Right. Farms now operate gigantic farms now operate with a handful of people and AI, actually. Right. So we're that we use these technologies, these tools to provide uh, to create a world of abundance for more and more people. And that's what I see coming down the pipeline with the current type of AI that we have. One very real opportunity for humanity is to unlock everybody's minds right allow us to produce more allow us to produce more music produce more you know writing spend more time in in contemplation have, have for me have more barbecues man i love barbecues uh, i lived in florida for a long time and i was known for barbecues i'm known for barbecues here too right like heck any technology that'll let me have more barbecues maybe spend some Zen time <laughs> with a car, right? With, uh, with friends. I mean, at the end of the day, we're ephemeral. We're going to die, right? That is the defining factor of our life. If you can say what you're going to do with a good chunk of your life and live it more meaningfully, that to me is the you know ultimate function of technology. That to me is the ultimate promise of, uh, uh, of, modernism or whatever it is that you call it, the free world. Uh, and of course, there are people who are short-sighted that are going to try to take, try to take advantage of it and just try to get rich, right? Or just try to do something. And that's that's where the fear comes from. And the fear is 
very much based in reality because you know i don't think anything like terminator is going to happen a lot of a lot of doomers are like oh my god there's going to be terminator but yeah we have to be on the lookout to make sure your bank isn't using your voice as the main thing that decodes your bank account that's going to cause chaos you know we're going to have to tell grandma that hey these things exist now so if somebody sounds exactly like me calls and asks for money and apple gift cards don't do it right yeah so we're just going to have to we're just going to have to be very vigilant um especially in times of change it makes sense to be vigilant but not to be too fearful uh and i think this is why the age of ai is going to unfairly uh reward the entrepreneurial type cuz like i was saying you'd have to be this you know paranoid optimist right be yeah. optimistic about the future but you know th- without being naive the good thing i think for ai is that we've already seen some self regulation hit the market you know when chat gpt came out it was very clear that there are terms of service for use on this and there are things you can't do and things that it will refuse to do you know now i think some of that self regulation went all the way the other way where they started to kind of censor some results and curate some results kind of like we've seen google do before you know where it's only going to show you certain results because that's what it wants to push up to the top even though if it was reacting fairly it would give you everything based on how it ranks it's an algorithm you know ai or google and so it can be altered and changed and but i think it's good that we're seeing some whistleblowers come out and say hey i've seen things behind the scenes as this was developed that are troubling and here's what we need to do in order to fix that and then we've seen chat gpt and bard and others put in some of these safeguards you know and then of course I don't mean to leave out all the other great tools like the AR art generators and then the ones you spoke about, you know, where they're able to synthesize voices and even create avatars that look exactly like you. I mean, I can create a whole video in this exact studio without ever having a camera inside of the studio. This studio could just have been a picture taken from outside, modeled in AI, you know, my picture of my body modeled in AI, my voice sampled in AI and then just create this whole video talking about whatever I want to talk about without anybody knowing. And we've seen the deep fake type stuff come out where, like you said, grandma's going to be watching TV and think that she sees, you know, President Biden on television saying something because she saw it. And really and truly, it could be a completely fake video that was made from some nefarious character. But ultimately, I think those people are going to be rooted out. And yes, you're going to have some bad happen. But again, if you think that Chat GPT is the problem that's going to take us to AI Terminator coming real and, and destroying humanity. Wait until you find out about all the AI that's been in use on weapon systems for many more years than what we're doing right now. I mean, we, we, we talked about this in the firehouse the other day. I was with this guy who just loves uh, AI and technology and, and learning about that stuff, but it, it does scare him too. And he's like, what do you think it's going to do to the fire service? How do you think it's going to change it? And I was like, well, when a call is dispatched and drones instantly fly in the air, instantly go to the location and give us a live feed of what's going on, and we know if we need to send a big fire truck, a small fire truck, or just a car, that's going to be game-changing. When we get to a scene and drones fly off of our, our truck and circle the entire scene and give us views that we've never had before, and a battalion chief or an incident commander is sitting inside of a car with these live video feeds and can see more than they've ever been able to see before, that's going to be game changing. And I said, but the thing you have to understand is something that you, Ahmed, pointed out earlier, and that is 
I cannot fathom or communicate to you, nor can you to me, the changes that we are going to see in the next 20 to 50 years, because it's so drastic. Mm -hmm. Neither one of us is imaginative enough to fathom it. Because if you thought the Jetsons coming out as early as it did, saying we were going to have flying cars in the 2000s was this big leap, it's going to make that seem like a black and white cartoon with some crazy idea that never came to fruition because it's a dumb idea. What we would be able to fathom in a perfect world is going to be so beyond what we can even imagine that I think our life is just going to be so deeply integrated with AI technology as a whole and the internet that we'll be connected forever. I mean, when the internet came out, people literally said, how are you going to be able to do X, Y, Z? You're not going to carry the internet around with you in your back pocket. And then now (laughs) that's exactly what we do. We walk around with it on our wrist. We walk around with it in our hands. We walk around with it in our ears, like everywhere. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to the post like, you know, black mirror or post phone era. Cause <laughs> what I think is going to happen is you're going to have something more like star Trek where you just say computer and the computing becomes ubiquitous and that, yep. that should allow us to actually lean into our humanity, right? What makes us better than AI? Um, nothing besides our humanity, besides the fact that we're not AI, we're not specialized machines, right? What makes you better than your car? Well, it's weird comparison, right? Your car is your car. You can't go as fast as your car, right? But I think people still prefer hanging out with you than your car, unless you have a really fancy car. (laughs) Yeah, then they love it. But I I think we're already almost there. You know, at, a, at an entry level, when I say that, some people are going to listen and they're going to be like, mm, no, we got a lot of changes that have to come in. And you're absolutely right. But, you know, the cell phone didn't start out as this small micro device. The cell phone started out as this big, huge brick. And the technology was there and it was capable, but it was inconvenient. And then as technology went forward and batteries got smaller, radio systems got smaller, and all of these components of a phone got smaller, we started coming out with these tiny little things. Then you had people like me, they were like, I want a big screen. (laughs) So they got a little bit bigger. Um, But I think it's the same way, like you said, where we get rid of the black mirror and we're just, we're just existing with it. And it's existing with us. We're already seeing some of that with augmented reality. And right now it's ugly. And that's why I say we're already there. And some people disagree because they say, well, it's ugly. It's big. It's in your face. You can't see anything else for virtual reality. The augmented reality is still kind of, hard to do because you can't see that well because the cameras aren't there, but it's like, cool. As those things progress, eventually, you know, we're seeing some augmented reality come out that look just like the glasses you're wearing today. Mm -hmm. And it's limited in what it can do, but eventually you're going to have full 360 degree view of things inside of your world live by just presenting itself on your glasses. I mean, I think it's kind of why virtual reality hasn't even taken off as big yet to the consumer public is because it shuts you off from all other reality. But augmented reality is something more of us want because it keeps me in touch with my current reality and allows me to see dinosaurs walking in my neighborhood, you know, or planes flying in the sky, watching an air show from my front porch or back porch. Like it's things that we just, we know are coming and it's going to be there and we're going to get to that point pretty quick and it's going to improve and improve. But then it's the things we can't fathom, like how you're not going to need to wear anything right? because something can be implanted and you're not going to need to say computer or Alexa or Siri. You're just going to think it, you know, and these things are going to receive that message and do, you know, same thing with prosthetics industry. 
like the way that this can be put into play is going to be so insane that there's going to be so many branches coming off of these trees. It's amazing. And I nerd out about it and get excited if you couldn't tell. Absolutely. I was just thinking, you know, imagine a time traveler coming in from the past. They'd go back and be like, they're all crazy. They talk to themselves. They see things. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's actually going to happen. So right down the street from here, they're working on augmented reality contact lenses. Forget glasses, man. Contact lenses. They go right right on your retina, right? So these technologies are coming. uh, In Silicon Valley, it's a little bit more palpable. You get to play with some of this stuff. Um, Of course. The next generation of tablets is going to be crazy. I saw one the other day. It uses AI to track your eyes and gives you 3D. So imagine picking up the slab, and it's no longer two-dimensional. It's actually three-dimensional, the displays and everything is generated. So I think we're in for a treat. I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and I think this is going to connect fellow geeks of the world together, and yep. let's go off and build build an amazing future. Yeah, I, I know we've been talking for a while, and our listener is like, I want to hear about Yobi. But, you know, the last thing I wanted to say on that note about things going places and us not knowing if we're there yet or close to it or anything else, that's the big thing, too, is it's like here in Texas, we don't get to see and play with these things like you get to do in Silicon Valley because you're there. You're on almost the front lines of technology. You're on like the second line of technology where it's being developed after the military and and the large governments and corporations have already put all of this stuff into use. So that's the big thing that came from that firehouse conversation. I was like, man, what you got to understand is what you think is going to happen in the next five years has already happened on a battlefield and has already happened in training and is already being played with by the military. So anything that comes out now, I don't know what the delay is these days. Um, you know, as far as how long and how far ahead technology is in the military compared to us, but it's like, The military is really out there trying this stuff out and trying to be the latest, greatest and fastest and just make it work rudimentary for the battlefield. And then it comes back to usually Silicon Valley Valley or some type of, you know, tech mecca where people can learn from it, craft it and make it into something that consumers. So I think the scary part is this is the first time that's probably not true. Right. Traditional, like in my life, that's why I started out in the government. Right. This is the first time where it's kind of crazy. It's like all up in the air because nobody expected it to be this good. Yeah. You think everyone's just kind of like on the same playing field learning together? Oh, absolutely. That is absolutely the case, right? So there's nation, nation states, right? Nation states, like future superpowers, everybody's scrambling. There's nobody who's like, yeah, I've got this, right? There were people who are prognosticating, but those kind of folks, right, were considered a little off and weird, right? Um, Folks like myself who are in the garage working on GPUs and, uh, you know, generating stuff while everybody else is focused on crypto. They're like, oh, those those idiots, right? But now they're (laughs) like, oh, oh, crap, these guys aren't conspiracy theorists, right? There really was something here. Of course, I'm not saying that we, you know, any anybody really predicted this. Even I did not in my wildest dreams think that we would be here now. This is way yeah. further ahead than I thought. I th- this is like 2030. In my head, this is 2030. Sure. Right. Yeah, I would have been there with you. I mean, I, this is something I've stated on the podcast before, and I can't remember the exact numbers, so I'm going to butcher it a little bit. But the idea is the same, and that is that in the past 30 years, we have advanced more technologically than all of society before that. 
So from caveman to, you know, 1990, 1980, somewhere around there up to now. So, you know, now we're getting into the 30 or 40 year mark, but even just from 2000 to 2020, the technological advance was so huge that it dwarfed all of humanity's existence in the world. And it's like, that's, it's a mind blowing fact of how fast things changed. And I think that's the big difference from um, the statistic that I throw out there, you know, again, not a real statistic, but I'm just saying somewhere around five years behind for the general public's, um, you know, accepting of these things, finding out about it, learning about it, and it being used in a consumer fashion. That's where I was so used to was it takes time for things to be developed, but that time is gone. Yeah, that time, things are that developed time was absolutely go. gone. You know who came up with this whole AI paradigm, like what we call ChatGPT? You know, BART is like the original one, right? They're, they're the OG. Google developed this technology. There were these folks at Google that released a paper called Attention is All You Need. They are now at companies like OpenAI, Anthropic, uh, you know, Cohere. They're building language models outside of Google. So I think if you're entrepreneurial, you see the, you know, you see the writing on the wall. You see that the place to bring this technology to fruition is in places that offer more freedom than large corporations. And the open source movement is one to pay very close attention to because Last year, nobody would have imagined like, oh my God, how are you ever going to beat ChatGPT? I'm not saying you have to beat ChatGPT, but if you wanted to, if you wanted to put some gasoline on this thing and make it go even faster, bring out a thousand and one geeks and give them access to open source large language models. Last year, I was talking to a large language model, Bloom, which for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what the heck it was speaking gibberish back then. I realized it wasn't gibberish, it was speaking French. Uh, I wish I knew French back then. It only responded in French. You'd say hi, respond back in French. But today, man, if you play with Llama or Llama 2 or Falcon 40B, which was from the United Arab Emirates, right? These language models are crazy. They're small. They fit in your MacBook, right? You can run them on your MacBook M1. You can disconnect the internet from your computer and it will continue working. It's, it's a crazy, crazy paradigm shift. So you basically thrown the best brains of the world at it. And you've said, everybody has a chance now. So I think we're only going to see that pace accelerate. Um, and I'm hoping this is where you really do hope for that entrepreneur, the other side of the entrepreneurial spirit, which is self-regulation, knowing what's good. Like you really got to appeal to the entrepreneur's sense of, you know, like a higher self, a higher purpose, right? Don't be short-sighted and use this technology to just gain, you know, short-term ends. And collectively, we should be having that discussion, right? It's not like entrepreneurs don't just go do this just to get rich, right? Uh, entrepreneurs, in reality, are folks who love building things. And our society happens to reward them disproportionately well, Uh but they work really hard and they don't just do it for the reward. It's usually spread around, right? And the entrepreneurial spirit is one that we all have. It's the thing that makes you not rob your neighbor every morning, right? It's not the cops. Ideal. Hopefully it's not the cops, right? Some people don't have it all there yet that they want to rob everyone every day, right? But that's a really tiny portion of the population. Most people are good. 
most people want to build, you know, feed their families, you know, and I personally believe a lot of people want to have barbecues, right? They want to be happy. And we need to lean into that. We need to lean into that thing, just like we did during the Oppenheimer days. Like if you're a physicist, you know, you should only build an atomic bomb with great, great care and concern. And that like if you if the first thing that a physicist comes in, like a physics PhD comes and goes, I want to build bombs. They're like, no, you should that cat that kid should not get a PhD, right? He needs to go see go get therapy first, right? Same should apply if you're doing AI research or doing bleeding bleeding edge AI stuff, right? I think it's worthwhile to think about yourself, your humanity, and all of that, so that you don't end up regretting the rest of your life by building the technology and then enabling scammers, right? Um, so those are the kinds of things that I think, uh, because the regulations I don't believe will move fast enough to catch these things, to catch all of these changes. And if you overregulate, then you have another problem. We don't want to be the only country that doesn't have the kind of technologies that every other place has, right? So, Right, yeah. Uh, in, in that space, what do you do? It's something that we in America have done pretty well for a while, right? There is, yes, there's regulations. Yes, there's a government, but there's also conscience. There's also things that you just don't freaking do, right? Because you you will no longer be a be welcome in society if you act like that, yep. right? And we've had those for a while, and I hope that we can extrapolate on that. Not not over-index on it, not, not like clamp down on freedom of speech and trying and all that, but I'm saying it. there should be standards that we hold each other to ethical standards that I think are universal, you know, unassailable, right? Like don't kill, don't hurt, you know, don't do things that would kill us all. I think that's a pretty good standard. You know what I mean? Yeah, please. Please on that one. (laughs) Like if you see something and you can think two steps ahead and like, oh, this is going to wreak havoc. Let's not hit enter and see what that does, right? Think about it a little bit. Absolutely. Man, I, I know we went on the world's biggest tangent there, but you know, I'm I'm super nerdy about this kind of stuff. It's why at the fire station my crew likes to laugh and joke and say nerd to me all the time because um it's just it's funny to them how geeked out I get about tech and that kind of stuff. So let's hop into Yobi. I don't you know, I don't want to end the podcast here and miss out on the chance to find out about your company that you started after AI. What is Yobi and what does it do? So Yobi uh, we initially just, you know, sold it as a unified communication app where all of your, like your Twitter, your Facebook messenger, your text messages, your phone calls, everything would come to one place for your business. And then you could respond to your customers. You'd see like if somebody else in your company had responded to a customer. So you're in marketing. I'm sure this happens to you. A client reaches out, wants X, and there's something that happens in between where you don't really know what the client said. You know, sales says one thing, customer service says something else. We want to bring that all into one place. But really, the reason it's called Yobi is it's short for Yobi Byte, which is two to the power 80. So you connect your HubSpot to us. You connect all of your data sources to us. What we've been really working on is building a brain in the cloud that can help you and create digital agents, synthetic agents that can handle customer service on your behalf that can basically supercharge sales. So instead of being able to only answer one text message at a time, you can now simultaneously have 400 conversations and it's the best intern you've ever had. You train it, once it's right, it just answers like on the dot. 
right? Um, and as you heard my generated voice, I didn't say any of those words, but it is very much under my control. And it can have conversations on my behalf. We've even done podcasts, fully generated podcasts, back and forth. We identify that this is fully generated. I remember sending it to my mom and she was like, when did you have time to do all these podcasts? I'm like, mom, these these ones are generated, right? This is AI. And it just blew her mind. Um, but yeah, so that's what Yobi does. We help unify communications. And ultimately, we help businesses make more money by allowing them to bring in synthetic agents to help them with their marketing, sales, and customer service. It's the intelligence layer. So it's like automation. It's it's automation coupled with <clears throat> the ability to sound like you sat down and recorded something, but really it's those same trigger links and custom values that you're putting into your CRM currently that you're able to do that. But now all of a sudden that custom value is not just a text, it's your voice with you know, saying that text that you wrote. And that comes with Yobi whenever you, you purchase or subscribe. So that the, the synthetic agents are in beta, primarily because you could imagine the kind of havoc yep. this technology can wreak. Yep. But right now, if you sign up, you get the unified communications, you get a lot of the AI tools, um, text reform, text magic, we call it. Like you, you can magically change your text to sound more professional, speak in any different, any language that you want. But we're going to be introducing Copilot very here very soon, very carefully. And we're going to allow you to be able to have uh, your synthetic agent take over conversations on your behalf, help you make more sales, you know, help you with your marketing. If you're running a Facebook ad and folks just want to talk to you and, you know, get more details, you can close that lead a lot, a lot easier without you having to always be on your phone. Yeah, it's hard. That's the thing about sales in general is that, you know, there's right. only so many hours in a day and there's only so many clients that you can effectively reach and conversations you can effectively have. And you're hundred percent correct. If you can, you know, set up those automations on the back end to handle that stuff for you, then you can make money while you sleep because you can have those things set to come out when you receive certain emails, you know, all the way up to and including creating these contacts and everything else. Like I, I love the automation tech. It's not something I got into until I got into the marketing industry. And luckily for me, I really dove into the marketing industry about two, two and a half years ago, which was right on the cusp of AI starting to come out and make marketing agency life so much easier, you know, because now all of a sudden your productivity goes through the roof because you can do things in a fraction of the time that you were able to do them before. So I, I absolutely love it. Now, obviously, this is a, a recurring monthly cost, correct? It's a subscription-based product. It's a subscription-based product. We're exploring. Nobody quite knows how to charge for synthetic agents because you could say, oh, we'll charge for it hourly or by the GPU, or by the tokens, right? But it's not really It's not really a human. Right. It's not really just a SaaS product. There's, there's probably some usage-based based component. But more importantly, when you're talking sales, um, we're, we're actually just focused right now and saying, hey, you know what? Let's provide value. Let's provide value. We have a SaaS-based pricing model. And when it's valuable, business folks understand when something's valuable and they pay for it. Yeah. Oh, always. Yeah, that's the thing. And if somebody's if somebody's haggling over price with you, then it's either that what you have is not good enough for the market that you're in. And if you have customers already, 
then it sounds like that person trying to haggle is just not your client. That's not the one you need to go after for sure. So you're going to get into, I saw that video on TikTok of the um, like Tesla salesman that called the guy and spoke to him, but it was AI speaking. So that's what you're trying to beta test right now is that, or, or is that something you have out right now is that you'll be able to make those phone calls to clients or with clients and allow that technology to kind of gather all the info you want to gather, but do it on its own by talking to the person. We're primarily focused on text right now. We have voice, but I feel like I take, I take pride on what we build. And I feel that nobody has voice that can pass as something that, you know, I'd be proud to sell. Absolutely. There's a little bit of a delay, like you and I are talking right now, right? Full duplex, real time communication is a serious business. And I haven't seen any systems, including the ones that we've worked on, right, that are full duplex. You can have a conversation with me. I can answer the phone and I can convince you enough that if you didn't know me well, uh, you thought you'd think you'd, you were talking to a person. But after a while, like in that Tesla conversation, you would have noticed these weird pauses, right? Weird pauses. Yep. And you're in sales, man. Like, imagine if we were talking and every single time you were just like, that sales done. <laughs> Yes, they're hanging up. (laughs) That sale's done. That relationship is over. It became awkward, right? Silence to speak volumes. So at least on the phone call side, there's so many components to it. And I haven't seen, like, I think there's going to be some customer service things that are applicable. Like it's better, it's better than an answering machine. So in those places, I totally put in a synthetic agent as opposed to an answering machine on a phone call. But for a lot of other things, for really serious conversations, you know, we wouldn't want to put, we wouldn't want that customer experience to happen to your customers. I'll tell you where I want it right now. Like immediately are these dang robots that answer the phone when you call, because, you know, everyone has a phone tree. Nobody ever answers the phone live anymore. And so when you call, it's always, hello, thank you for calling Beefy Marketing. If you'd like to speak to Desiree, Please right. press one, you know, and it goes through this, like, if I could have that AI, even though there's those pauses, I know that I'm right. talking to an AI and I'm okay with that because it's better than this robot that answers right now. So to me, it looks like an upgraded version of, you know, so these phone trees that you have. I, and, I think and you're going to see that. I that. think you're going to see that a lot. Um, but what you're going to see, what we're, what we're working on is something that is just incredible. Like when you talk to this customer service agent, you should feel delighted because here's this AI that's infinitely patient, that can listen to you, that can understand, empathize, and that has all of human knowledge as it's learning, right? So you can use all of human knowledge to help you rebook your flight. As long as it can understand quicker, customer service representative without asking me 10 other things, and just transfer me, I'll be oh, happy. Yeah. Cause that's, that's probably the most annoying thing that happens is whenever I call my phone company and you know, it's like, hey, what is your problem today? It's like, I need a customer service rep. I don't even want to try to tell you what my problem is right. going to be because you're going to try and forward me over to pay my bill and tell me my balance and, you know, let me know when my next bills due and all this other crap. Like, I just want to talk to a live person, but the AI models that I saw with that TikTok video, though, like you said, not near ready absolutely would still be an upgrade over that stuff so yeah i think they will be ready very soon they'll be ready by the end of this year i think you're going to start seeing these things that are ready that can 
preserve the relationship that can move the ball along and that could probably find you a better solution. So I, I predict the future where you're going to be asking the human to transfer you back to the AI because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're not listening as well as that right. thing does. So as far as, as Yobi is concerned, um, what does your ideal client look like? You know, who is it that's primarily using this? Do I need to be somebody that has five, six or seven different ways to communicate with my company already? Or have you seen some people fit in that may just have, you know, hey, I, I really want to automate my Facebook responses, or I really just want to add text messaging as a capability. So we for were my company. really focused on small businesses, small to medium businesses. We're surprised by how many larger businesses are coming to us. Because ultimately, I think if you have that entrepreneurial spirit, you're a, you know early adopter and you want something easy that just works, right? Yobi, you download it, you're up and running within minutes. And it just works. It just works out of the box. Um, but primarily, we're focused on small businesses. So if you're a dentist, a doctor, or a landscaper, a roofer, a lawyer. So we have all these folks. Um, if you're running a tour company or even a university. So we have a couple of larger institutions that are using Yobi as well. The challenges are different at, at different levels. Uh, but I think the future businesses are going to look very different where instead of how we think of organizations today, you're going to really partner with the technology, with the AI. And I can't wait to see that the folks with the most entrepreneurial spirit win and build those future orgs. And that's really where we're trying to be is be where, you know, folks like yourself are right. Because you're going to take this, you're going to be like, wow, this is, this is amazing. I'm going to build the future with this. The kind of people that looked at a computer and said, I'm going to build a software company, right? Imagine being Bill Gates in the 70s, right? It's like, Dad, I'm going to drop out. You're going to do what? I'm going to drop out. I'm going to build software. <laughs> it's something that you can't see or touch, but I'm going to make millions off of it. <laughs> I can't imagine that pitch went yeah. very easy <laughs> to his parents, right? But, uh, you know, those are the kind of folks that are around now who are seeing the AI, who are seeing how do you leverage this technology. We'd like to be providers of that. We want to deliver that technology to business owners who want to build businesses of the future. And I think they're going to win. Like without AI, you're competing with like a completely crazy unfair advantage, right? Somebody else can have 5,000 rowers on their ship. You have an engine. You have a speedboat. Yeah. Or an airplane that's just going to fly over the dang thing because it's that much better. It makes the, the entrepreneur's life easier. But ultimately, it also makes the customer's experience better and their life easier because now, you know, you're able to assist them when they're thinking about it. You know, those third shifters that aren't awake Monday through Friday, at eight to five, they're sleeping because they have to go into work that night. Like being able to text a company and get the resources that they need or book something with somebody. It's just nice to be able to have your brick and mortar open 24 seven online. And I think it's kind of revolutionizing websites again with the addition of these tools to websites and all of that stuff. So this is obviously, like you said, monthly recurring. And on that monthly recurring, is it kind of a set price with different tiers of services that you get? Or is it one price for all access? How does that work? So we have different tiers. We have enterprise tiers that have a lot more integrations, right? A lot more bouts and whistles. But if you just want to get started, it's just like 20 bucks a month. It's nothing crazy. You get started, you get going as it provides more value. You'll see the value and your organization is going to grow. So we charge by the user currently. Um, 
Yeah, we haven't had anybody complain. And if they were complaining, they'd be complaining with a bot anyways. <laughs> we're going to create Hagglebot. Yep. <laughs> There's a good idea. <laughs> if I end up building it, I'll send it your way. <laughs> yeah, if somebody's going to haggle and that thing can get a better deal for the company's side for us, you know, if it can make a better sale than I can, I'll put it to work for me and then just collect a commission check it would have got. Right. Well, yeah, again, I don't think that human touch that final mile yeah. when you're making larger sales i think uh it's going to be a while before that gets you know done away with or anything but i think the sales folks that are already awesome are just going to get supercharged by this that's the thing because i you know my sales they're way too relational and to be you know it, it goes beyond just the human touch like it is i some people do business with us because they know me or because they like me or because they like Andrew, the owner, and know him or because they met Kara, the social media manager out at an event and they like her. And it makes for a longer sales cycle, which can suck when you're waiting on your next commission check. But at the same time, when there's tools like this that can help you nurture those leads better, because, you know, when it takes up to a year for me to close one of the websites and, you know, kind of a high ticket offer that I just closed. It took me a year to get that that commission. But the thing about it is, if I would have nurtured that lead better by having automations and these things happening, you know, automatically for me, uh -huh. I would have been way better off because now all of a sudden I've got a machine that doesn't forget. I've got something something that can do the things that I as a human can't and then I team up with it because I can do those things that it as artificial intelligence can't. So that allows me to be that human touch and to explain it in ways that they can understand better when I realize they're not understanding and to be there for them to be able to gripe at if something goes wrong or congratulate and drink a beer with if something goes right, whatever the case may be. Whereas that AI is there to make sure that I'm doing my job the most effective way that I can. Absolutely. And early adopters like yourself, folks who understand the tech, and who, who, are, who are not afraid of it, shouldn't be afraid of it. It's just tech, right? It's just like an automatic transmission, right? Like, yeah, it's complex, but it's just tech, right? Understand what it does and how to leverage it. This is what we humans have done for millennia, right? So those who adopted early, who are entrepreneurial, I think this is going to you know, unfairly favor them so much that the corporations of the future are probably ones that we haven't even heard of yet because yep. somebody's building them now. Like you said, it's an industrial revolution. Yeah. It's it's so massive that a whole nother market is going to be created. It's something and, and kind of already has been a little bit like it's it's teasing. But like you said, even beyond what we've seen now, I think something so drastically different is going to be so huge in the future that, you know, it, it's like our generation looking back and saying, man, I can't I can't believe that there was really a time you didn't always have a TV in the house. Yeah. You know, and, oh, and my kids, they're growing up now. And when they get to be my age, they're going to say, dude, I can't believe mom and dad really grew up in a time where they didn't have a cell phone, you know, until they were almost adults. And like my son's had a cell phone since he was five, you know, because it's here. The technology was there. It was cheap. I paid hardly nothing for the phone. He only gets our hand-me-downs now, even at 14 years old. And, you know, why not? But it's like, you know, this generation's also saying, I can't believe there was a time that you could only talk to people on the phone with audio. You couldn't video call. You couldn't FaceTime. You couldn't, you know, do a Google Hangout chat or whatever else. 
Absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, it, it is going to be a whole new paradigm, especially on the entertainment front. I think if you're into TV shows and all that, right? Imagine, imagine like you're like, I am not happy with that Game of Thrones ending. Or I'm not happy with how Star Trek just ended. Computer, redo it. And that just happens, right? That's That, I believe, is the future that we're getting into, right? Like, you you paint just differently. Yep. And your paintings are more much more vivid. And we're not as scared. Like, right now, we're worried about the deep fakes. And I'm sure if you're watching the first film where the train was coming at you, everybody ran out of the theater. Yes, to you, that felt very real. But our kids are going to be like, oh, yeah, that's a deep fake of grandpa. Grandpa's not alive anymore. But it's it's wonderful chatting with him, just like we like looking at videos or looking at photos of, you know, deceased family members, right? We're not in that uncanny valley like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's still here. He's not, right? So my synthetic agent could be talking to my great-great-grandchildren, which seems creepy now, but will probably just seem like a different type of medium in the future. Well, it may seem creepy because it's so close, right? You know, if you're thinking about my parents that passed away when I was, you know, my dad, I was 16 when he passed and my mom, I was thinking about 24. Um, that may seem weird to some people, kind of fresh, that kind of thing. But if you go to those same people and you say, okay, but you say that your great, 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 great uncle signed the Declaration of Independence, how would you like to meet him? And it's like, well, I can't, he's dead. No, you're absolutely right. But do you want to hear the stories of what he did in his voice? You know, and, and they're able to recreate something where all of a sudden now you're talking to somebody and it's like, dang. And then imagine if they can even be programmed to think like, that person would have in that time. I mean, not imagine that's how it will be. And then you're able to teach it new information from today. And then it's able to say, well, yeah, you know, here in 2023, totally different than, you know, whatever year that I was doing something growing up on the family farm or, you know, like whatever the case may be, it's going to be a cool way for us to be more in touch with our history so that we can understand those things. I think what helps me with not being scared is knowing that history always repeats itself. And if you can find those patterns, man, somewhere between that 15 to 25 year mark, it seems like we go through a cyclical thing where it's just constantly repeating itself. So it's like, cool. In 1990, the Internet really started to take off for home based consumer use as far as like the Internet and stuff. You know, you weren't talking huge, big, fat server rooms that have a computer, you know, which at the time was a supercomputer and it took up an entire room you know, or several rooms because of how big it was. It's like going from that in 20 or 30 years to tiny little computers that you can carry around with you in your pocket that are, you know, very, very small devices. And it's like, we see those cycles. So when I see AI pop up, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in the internet in the 90s or early 2000s. I got it. Yeah, this is a new thing. It's probably going to be here and stay for a while. There's going to be a lot of developments around it. Let me, like you said, adopt it early and become friends with it now use it to my advantage and to society's advantage so that either a it doesn't just take off and leave me in the dust or b the bad actor doesn't get there and use it for their advantage only and their greedy purposes amen couldn't have said it better myself hey it's been a great conversation man where do we connect with you online and find out more information about yobi and you uh, particularly, are y'all sharing stuff like on YouTube, you know, demo videos, those kinds of things? Yeah. Yeah. So you can find us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, like on 
I think we don't have anything in TikTok just yet, but besides TikTok, we're pretty much everywhere. And I'll do something really weird, right? So I'll give you my phone number. It's 402-698-3599. Again, that's 402-698-3599. So I'm one of the most accessible CEOs uh, in Silicon Valley because, no offense, I won't answer, but my synthetic agent will. And I can actually see the answers. Um, and this, I believe, is the future of how we communicate for businesses. I genuinely do want to connect with folks that reach out. And now I get to connect and have conversations, not necessarily deep ones, because early ones usually aren't, right? But oftentimes, you're just trying to meet somebody, ask a couple of questions, right? Yep. So if anybody reaches out to that number, it will respond back to you in whatever language. Uh, please be nice because you are talking not just to a bot. I get to see. So you're speaking to my synthetic representation. Heck yeah. Dude, it's been a killer podcast. Um, so much information here. I could go with you for like another hour and a half and probably not even be tired of it. Um, but I, I can't take up any more of your time. I just want to thank you for being on this show and sharing all of that, your opinions, the information, your history, your origins, what your company's doing, definitely something I'm going to check out. And we always encourage our listeners to. So thank you from the bottom of my heart, man, for being on here and sharing your story. Thanks, John. This was really wonderful. Appreciate you taking the time as well. Absolutely. And listeners, we couldn't do this thing without you. We have to have you as listeners, because if we don't, then who are we out here talking to? Like, this is the whole point of the podcast is to get cool origin stories like this and cool companies that are on the forefront of this technology out here to tell you all about how it works, not just in the YouTube videos and TikTok videos that you're seeing for 15 seconds, but to actually sit down or feel like you're sitting down with him, learning his story, knowing where he comes from, and feeling more comfortable when you're ready to purchase that product. If you're a business owner, check him out. Go check out Yobi. Look at the links down below. We're going to have everything that was said on this podcast down there in those links in the show notes. That way, you can easily access all these ways to connect with Yobi and connect with Ahmed. But that's it for us. It's been another amazing episode, another great entrepreneur with an awesome company. Thank you to him. Thank you to y'all. And as always, stay beefy, my friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it.